Today we'll be taking a look at a console that shaped the childhoods of many young gamers everywhere, the Nintendo DS. If the DS succeeds, we will rise to heaven, but if it fails, we will sink to hell. These were the fabled words of then-Nintendo president Hiroshi Yamauchi on the eve of the handheld's launch. With more than 154 million units sold worldwide, it's hard to argue the DS was anything less than a roaring success. The landscape of the gaming industry looked very different back in 2003. Post-millennium game development costs were swiftly rising with a focus on improved graphics and in-game physics, and Microsoft's answer to the PlayStation 2 kicked off a rat race that's still being played out today. The GameCube began to fall behind the sales of these two consoles, and to add insult to injury, rumblings concerning the PlayStation Portable heralded Sony's advancement into the handheld space. This was a corner of the market Nintendo had thrived in comfortably for many years thanks to the much-loved Game Boy line of handhelds. As quickly as Nintendo had established itself as a home console giant, its position was destabilized and there were rumors the company would be pushed out altogether. A shakeup was clearly in order, and in a bid to survive, Nintendo looked to what they could do differently. Nintendo's pursuit of marketing touchscreen technology was less of a eureka moment than it first seems. Touch controls had been attempted by other Japanese gaming companies, with concepts passed around the industry since the Sega graphics board in 1985. Sega was particularly keen on developing a handheld with touch tech, but their designs never captured the public interest enough for them to break into the West. Plans to incorporate touch controls into a Game Gear successor also fell through due to how expensive it would be to manufacture. They revisited it once again for the Sega Pico in 1993, an edutainment console designed for kids. While this didn't create much of a wave in Western markets either, Nintendo and the Pokemon Company took interest in Sega's console enough to license Pokemon for a number of games on the system. Check out our region lock video on those if you'd like to learn more. In earlier years, such a partnership between Nintendo and Sega would have been unheard of, but by 2002, Sega no longer posed any serious competition. It's impossible to overlook how uncannily the Pico resembles some kind of Fisher-Price Proto-DS knockoff, with its clamshell design complete with horizontal touchpad and stylus. Of course, it wasn't fully realized as such. The second screen was the TV the console had to be hooked up to in order to run, and the vertical half was dedicated to the Pico's storyware cartridges. However, aside from this quirky gimmick, the basis of the DS's design can be seen in this relatively obscure Sega product, and demonstrates that Nintendo's innovation did not develop in a bubble. From preschoolers to grandparents, growing up in the mid-2000s saw people of all ages carting a DS around with them. The pursuit of an unconventional gaming audience also allowed for non-traditional problem-solving. By catering to a different kind of player who wasn't accustomed to the usual methods of shooting, hitting, and otherwise maiming things littered throughout a game. One non-traditional title on the system was Gogo Kokopolo, a chronically overlooked DSiWare game that released late in the handheld's lifecycle. Kokopolo includes a secret, peaceful ending that goes against the very spirit of its own gameplay. The game begins after the titular Wildcat Coco Polo is rudely awakened from his afternoon nap and vows to get revenge. The core gameplay consists of hunting down peaceful forest critters, attacking them so they become hostile, and then luring them to their own death via carnivorous plants. It's a game of cat and mouse turned on its head, with a very silly supervillain origin story to boot. Except, it doesn't have to be. 
the player can refuse to attack the first NPC they encounter in the game, which will thank Cocopolo for sparing it. Then, the culprit for Cocopolo's rude awakening will appear, apologize for their earlier slight, and ask if they could be friends. The two shake on it, and a scrolling message appears on screen commending the player. By choosing not to react, you have broken the endless cycle of conflict and violence. Now peace will forever spread across this world. You are a super peaceful player. Nintendo also focused on bolstering accessibility with the DS. They did this via their in-house game brand, Touch Generations, which shipped out several games designed for and marketed towards traditional non-gamers throughout the DS's lifecycle. Set at a cheaper price point, these included Brain Training, Art Academy, and Nintendogs, all staples of any DS owner's library. Third-party developers acknowledged the unlikely success of these instant classics and shifted gears to follow suit. One such title was developed by Sega Japan, the shameless brain training knockoff Mind Quiz Your Brain Coach. Designed by the first lady of RPGs herself, Rieko Kodama, the game landed in hot water after it released in the UK, as performing poorly in the game resulted in the player being labelled as a derogatory, ableist term in the region. A Belfast woman encountered the unfortunate phrasing after playing the game in hospital while giving birth, and voiced her complaint to radio host Stephen Nolan live on BBC Ulster. Her first son, who suffered from cerebral palsy and severe brain damage, had passed away just six months prior. She was, understandably, upset with the choice of words in the game, especially as it was rated appropriate for ages 3 and up. Unfortunately for Kodama and the company, many of Nolan's listeners were similarly outraged and the story quickly went viral. Ubisoft, as the game's publisher outside of Japan, bore the brunt of the complaints and were driven to halt distribution and pull the game off shelves. In their official statement, they laid the blame primarily on cultural differences, but shouldered partial responsibility by admitting a failure in their own QA testing. It may seem like a cop-out at first, but MindQuiz continued to sell in Australia without controversy, as the word isn't seen as an offensive term despite the nation using British English. Don't be fooled into thinking the land down under is a place where games get a free pass. The DS title Dragon Ball Origin sent Atari into their own recall frenzy just two months after its Australian release in December 2008. Despite the game receiving a teen rating in America and 12 plus in Europe, Origins received a PG rating in Australia. While not grossly explicit in nature, flashes of a nude kid Goku occur multiple times throughout the game. And the opening chapter features a bizarre sequence in which Bulma flashes a leering master Roshi for a Dragon Ball, who in classic anime fashion suffers a heavy nosebleed at the sight. In the following scene, Bulma returns home where she is shocked to discover the underwear she thought she was wearing had been taken off by Goku while she slept the night before. Granted, it's faithful to the game's source material, but it's difficult to understand how these mildly lewd moments could have been so overlooked by the Australian Classifications Board. Thankfully for Atari, the blame could only be laid squarely at the feet of the Classifications Board for the oversight. Moving on to something a little more light-hearted, let's talk about the wealth of easter eggs, thinly veiled references, and hidden messages in DS games. The interactive mystery novel Last Window, Secret of Cape West includes one such in-joke. 
If the player chooses to inspect the protagonist Kyle Hyde's wardrobe, he'll declare, I like suits, they're comfy and easy to wear. This might seem like an arbitrary line of dialogue, unless you've played the first generation of Pokemon games where a trainer declares, I like shorts, they're comfy and easy to wear, seconds before challenging the player to a battle. This bizarre line was catapulted to internet stardom and a place in the meme hall of fame, and has even been referenced in later Pokemon titles. The much-beloved sandbox puzzler Scribblenauts has references galore. Originally developed by Fifth Cell exclusively for the DS, the Japanese local has a fleet of exclusive cameos from publisher Konami's extensive roster. This includes Castlevania's Alucard, Goemon and Ibizumaru from The Legend of the Mystical Ninja, as well as various iterations of Metal Gear's Snake. Dating sim love interest Manaka also got a look in as a nod to Love Plus, a highly popular DS title sold exclusively in Japan. The player can even fly in the Vic Viper from the classic arcade shoot-em-up Gradius. All can be spawned into the game world by entering their names like any other object in the game. No secret cheat codes found by scouring copies of Nintendo Power here. Scribblenauts also managed to take first place for the most meta moment mentioned in this video, giving the player the ability to spawn its own DS cartridge into the game world by entering a number of phrases including, but not limited to, Maxwell spelled backwards, game of the year, game of the century, game of the forever, innovation or innovative. As you might expect, some DS games have interesting secrets hidden within their data. Delving into the inner workings of a game's code can offer insight into design decisions, as well as access to content otherwise destined for the cutting room floor. GoGo Go Cosmo Cops had an entire additional language option tucked away inside its code. While the game was released exclusively in Europe, plans were in place to release a Japanese version of the game under the alternative title Shutsugeki Acronites. An exclusive European release on a Nintendo console was unusual in itself. Add this to a colourful cast of chibi characters with Japanese developer Noise at the helm, and it's difficult to imagine the title wouldn't do well in the region. Regardless, plans fell through and the Japanese version was cancelled before official release. However, the language option can be accessed via a ROM patch, allowing for Japanese players to experience the game in their native language. With all the uncertainty that went into the handheld with the DS's launch, Nintendo knew they needed a killer app to really get their console flying off the shelves, so they brought out the big guns, Super Mario 64 DS. Originally released in 1996 on the exact same day as the Nintendo 64, it's no exaggeration to say that Super Mario 64 is one of the most influential games ever made, and established key elements that define modern platformers. The DS's ability to render 3D graphics allowed Nintendo to remake Super Mario 64 from the ground up. Ideas for improvement and iteration were clearly thrown around, as evidenced by a fully functional red variant of the Koopa Trooper that can be found by making minor changes to the game's code. Unlike the green Koopa Troopers, who flee from the player if they get too close, this unused enemy behaves similarly to a bully, the ultra-aggressive cannonball on legs that charges straight at the player on sight. However, while they succeed in knocking Mario over, these red variants don't dish out any damage, possibly because the idea to include them had been scrapped before any damage values could be attached to their behavior. When knocked out of their shells, they aren't sent into a panic like the green variant. Instead, they remain unfazed and will continue to charge at Mario 
until they get close enough to hop back into their shell. Furthermore, Mario cannot surf on the empty red shells. The game will acknowledge it as a physical object, but when attempting to jump on it, Mario will simply slide off. Incidentally, when either the red Koopa or its shell is eaten by Yoshi, he will spew out a fireball as he does in Super Mario World. The game's code also includes several unused areas. While the majority were clearly dedicated for level testing and the like, the remains of the original room containing the warp pipe to the princess's secret slide is still within the game. This hexagonal room was small and unassuming in the N64 version, with a sign lamenting the loss of the castle's power stars at the hands of Bowser. In the DS remake, this was extended into a hub of sorts, with the ability to swap characters and access minigames. The original room is integrated into the new castle's model, though with poor textures and no collision data. Still, this hasn't stopped nostalgic fans from attempting a restoration of the room, cleaning up the textures and creating new collision maps to bring it up to par with the rest of the game. Did you know? The Nintendo DS can be used to spread malware, as demonstrated at DEF CON, a hacking convention in Las Vegas, Nevada. At the con, two men named Ki Chan An and Dong Ju Ha demonstrated a variety of ways the DS could be cracked and infected in order to raise awareness. For example, malware can be placed in a pirated copy of a game, then uploaded online where it can spread to other systems. After the code is loaded onto the DS, the malicious code can take over the network the DS is connected to and spread the malware to anything from computers and smartphones to smart TVs. Interestingly, malware existed on the Nintendo DS as far back as 2005. One example is Trojan DS Brick A, which was often disguised as a ROM loader. People were often tricked into using it with their DS, where the code would immediately erase the DS's firmware and other critical functions. The system would become inoperable, or bricked, and the screen fittingly displayed a brick wall. Another result of hacking the DS was inevitably piracy. According to a report by the Computer Entertainment Software Association in 2010, Pokemon Platinum, Diamond, and Pearl were the three most pirated games on the Nintendo DS. According to the CESA, the trio were pirated 5,375,178 times in Japan alone, costing Nintendo an estimated $269 million in lost sales. In an effort to combat the DS's rampant piracy, Nintendo joined forces with 54 other Japanese companies, including Square Enix, Capcom, and Tecmo. Together, they lobbied the Tokyo District Court to ban the sale of R4 carts in Japan. R4 carts were a popular brand of flash cartridges which were able to run ROM files directly onto the DS, including illegally obtained games. While the petition was ultimately successful, the ban only affected the R4 brand in particular, leaving many competing flash carts to fly under the radar. Nintendo followed this up with a suit against the Magicon flash cart brand, which they also won. However, stores continued to sell Magicon and other flash carts regardless. Nintendo filed yet another lawsuit seeking compensation for damages from flash cart sellers. The company also set up a website asking people to report retailers selling flash carts and other piracy-related devices and pirated games. In South Korea, the Korean Customs Service cracked down on a DS piracy ring charged with selling over 90,000 pirated games, game copiers, and illegal contraband worth an estimated 87. percent 
$1.2 million. In an attempt to evade authorities, the Ring operated their business out of internet cafes and on websites based in other countries. Some of the pirates even hired employees to help manage their stores, paying them out of bank accounts created with false names. Nintendo's crusade didn't go over so well in France. Nintendo suffered a major loss in a lawsuit against Divinio Group, a French flash cart manufacturer. The suit went all the way up to France's highest court, where the judge ultimately ruled Nintendo was in the wrong for trying to deny users the right to use flashcards. Furthermore, the judge pushed Nintendo to be more supportive of independent development. Unsurprisingly, Nintendo wasn't keen on the idea and took precautions to make the next iteration of the DS, the Nintendo DSi, unhackable. However, hackers announced they'd cracked the system just three days after its launch. Nintendo attempted to fight back through firmware updates. For example, while the DSi's 1.41U update claimed to provide behind-the-scenes improvements to the system's performance, it actually focused on anti-hacking measures. The update attempted to lock out a number of the most popular flashcart brands. Many DS flashcarts had updatable firmware of their own, though, giving flashcard users a way to respond to and circumvent Nintendo's attempts to lock them out. Although Nintendo ceased updating the DSi in 2012, hackers have continued to find new methods to crack the handheld. For example, a popular hacking method using the DSi's Flipnote Studio app became impractical on new systems when the DSi shop closed in 2017. This effectively meant anyone who didn't already have Flipnote Studio installed could only hack their DSi by modifying the handheld's hardware inside. Then, in late May 2019, hacker Shutterbug2000 found a new method dubbed the Memory Pit, which exploited a vulnerability inside the DSi's camera app. Since the app came pre-installed on every DSi system, this once again opened the doors to DSi hackers everywhere. As well as adding anti-hacking measures and firmware to curb piracy, many developers, including Nintendo, placed anti-piracy measures in their games. Some efforts were straightforward, such as with Kirby Mass Attack, which simply prevented the game from booting or progress from being saved. Other measures were sneakier, like in Dragon Quest V, Hand of the Heavenly Bride. If the system detects a pirated ROM, the game will play out as normal for a while until the player reaches a ship. From here, the game will be stuck on an endless loop, with the ship never reaching its destination. A simpler variation of this technique was used with Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles Ring of Fates. If the DS detects the game as a pirated copy, the play session will be cut short after 20 minutes and the message, thank you for playing, will appear on the screen. The Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks also attempted to stop players from playing a pirated copy. In this game, the touchscreen's UI, which lets the player control the train's speed and movement, will never appear if the game isn't a legit copy. This means players will inevitably fail very early on in the game and be unable to progress. Possibly the most creative anti-piracy measures can be seen in the DS version of Michael Jackson The Experience. If the system detects foul play, the game won't display vital touchscreen cues and also drowns out the game's music with the sound of Vuvuzelas. Vuvuzelas entered the Western mainstream thanks to the 2010 FIFA World Cup in South Africa, where South African fans constantly used Vuvuzelas. This inadvertently drowned out anything else in the stadiums and annoyed many. Despite Nintendo's battle against hacking, most hackers aren't pirates at all. In fact, the DS has a lively homebrew scene that enjoys creatively and legally using their DSs in a number of imaginative ways. For example, Steve Chapman grew tired of lugging around his heavy, cumbersome, energy-hungry laptop when using his DSLR camera, pushing him to look for a smaller alternative. 
Chapman wrote. After mentally specking out what I would need, I realized the solution was right in front of me, because I bring it with me for Mario Kart DS wireless races on long night jobs. Chapman made his own specialized program and connected the camera's cord through the DS's Game Boy Advance cartridge slot. After some experimentation, Chapman's DS DSLR creation was able to outpace his laptop in performance. Chapman was even able to use the DS's built-in microphone to have his camera take pictures via audio cues, saving him hundreds of dollars on buying an official accessory for the same purpose. Other hackers have looked to software modding to expand what their DS's can do, leading to the creation of many homebrew apps. For example, the homebrew app Moonshell DS allows users to turn the handheld into a multimedia player. DS Twitter and FB4NDS allows DS users to post on their Twitter and Facebook accounts via the handheld, and the Remote Touch app can be used to control your computer via the DS. There's hundreds of homebrew applications, and entire communities have cropped up around their development. The DS is made for a popular emulation device, too. There are custom-built DS emulators for everything from the NES and Genesis slash Mega Drive to more niche programs like Scum MVM, which emulates point-and-click adventure games. Of course, people didn't forget about the games. Many hackers have used their skills to alter and improve some of their favorite games via ROM hacks. The Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks D-Pad Controls ROM hack allows gamers to play Spirit Tracks with more traditional button-based controls. Other ROM hacks add new characters to Super Mario 64 DS, including Waluigi, Donkey Kong, and Sonic the Hedgehog. Meanwhile, Castlevania Dawn of Sorrow Definitive Edition seeks to completely overhaul the original game with new character portraits, a reworked luck system, tweaked controls, bug fixes, and other quality-of-life improvements. Some ROM hacks change up the base game entirely to create a new one instead, such as New Super Mario Bros. 3. This hack is a complete remake of the original Super Mario Bros. 3 using the new Super Mario Bros. engine, and includes custom content as well. On the other hand, some hackers have created their own entirely original homebrew games. Still Alive DS is directly inspired by Valve's Portal, but reworks the concept into 2D. Lone Wolf DS officially takes Joe Denver's choose-your-own-adventure game books and recreates them on the DS. The game handles all of the dice rolls and stats, allowing the player to focus on the story. These games and many more are completely free, requiring only a flash cart to enjoy. Hackers have even managed to bring the Nintendo DS's Wi-Fi capabilities back online after Nintendo shut down its servers in 2014. Programmer Michael Lelly recalled, I'd been following another online service revival for the Resident Evil Outbreak games. However, because the US versions of those games use a different network that never got analyzed in time before it was shut down, they'll probably never be supported. I didn't want that to happen to literally every DS and Wii game, so I went to work recording data from as many games as I could, and trying to get others to help. After being donated a server to use, Lelly and a group of like-minded hackers joined forces to build a Python-scripted alternative to Nintendo's Wi-Fi service. Using the homebrew server, compatible games once again function as they originally did, with working friends lists, matchmaking, leaderboards, and other online features. The homebrew server also periodically sends out heartbeat signals to ensure everyone in the party is still connected. The team has since focused on improving the server and expanding its compatibility among the DS's library. Brenton, a member of the team, stated, The project has since grown to be much more than what I envisioned, and I'm grateful to have people who are willing to dedicate their time and skill to helping out in whatever ways they can. I'm happy with what has been accomplished, which is enough to make me feel like my time and energy has been put to good use.
Did you know? There were over 50 games planned to release on the Nintendo DS that were cancelled. Ever wonder what they were and why they were canned? In this video, we'll be covering all of them, with a few exceptions. We'll leave out certain titles, such as games that were rumored to exist but have no evidence backing them, like the rumored Earthbound DS compilation. And if a cancelled game was multi-platform, we'll only talk about the DS version of it if it was unique. Since we're talking about the DS, we'll start with Nintendo's own scrap projects. The Metroid series didn't have much impact on the DS, but one scrapped entry could have changed that. A game called Metroid Dread circulated on a list of upcoming Nintendo games at several outlets. Out of the list, only Metroid Dread failed to release, and rumors of it persisted throughout the 2000s. At GDC 2010, IGN asked Metroid producer Yoshio Sakamoto about the game. He acknowledged Metroid Dread was real, but said the leaked details were just rumors. IGN later said Dread's story was fully written and claimed to have seen it, but by 2015, Metroid Dread was nowhere to be seen. Researcher Liam Robertson contacted those who saw Dread, including staff of Nintendo Software Technology. Apparently, development on Dread's prototype started in 2008. It was shown in private at E3 2009, seeming like a DS port of Metroid Fusion. Around that time, the Dread in the title was dropped. By 2010, the project was dead altogether. Other Nintendo franchises had scrapped DS games. Retro Studios once entered pre-production on a DS game featuring Boo. Info on the Boo game is limited, but there were some details that were posted on an artist's portfolio. Concepts show a world map, and Boos taking on different forms and abilities. Other concepts humorously showed a Hanukkah Boo and a Christmas-themed Boo. IGN reached out to the artist for more info, and were told the game's ideas came from the leads at Retro, but the idea was dropped when they left to form their own studios. Another game from the the same portfolio showed a male Sheikah from a scrapped Zelda game. This retro-helmed Zelda title would have followed the last male Sheikah, traveling across a destroyed Hyrule while a dark Gerudo tribe gave birth to a new form of Ganon. The game apparently featured an origin story for the Master Sword. Nintendo's ex-right-hand studio Rare had two games in mind for the DS that were canned. On a YouTube video showing beta assets from Banjo-Kazooie Grunty's Revenge, an ex-developer left a comment. Apparently, when the handheld team migrated to the DS, one of their first ideas was for a Grunty's Revenge sequel. It would have retained the fixed camera from the original, but with 3D graphics. The developer added that Donkey Kong Country 4 was considered for the DS, as the DKC trilogy had just been released on the GBA. Sometime after dropping these DS, details in the comments, the same user got in contact with Donkey Kong fan site DK Vine and elaborated. After the team finished the third GBA game, they had an engine they could use relatively easily. The idea of a 2.5D Donkey Kong Country sequel on DS occurred to them, though ultimately nothing came of it. As we've mentioned before, Seaman creator Yute Saito once had an idea for a game called Mario Motors. In the early 2000s, Saito took up metal sculpting as a hobby. While chatting with Shigeru Miyamoto and Satoru Iwata at a meetup, he told the men about his game idea based on metal sculpting, and they decided to give it a go. The premise was that players sculpted engines out of metal, and the properties of the engines determined how well their cars ran. Saito considered having players blow into the DS mic to accelerate their cars, but scrapped it, fearing children would faint. Though Saito didn't say when the game was conceived, one screenshot is dated August 2008. The game was quietly cancelled. There's evidence that the DS was originally planned to get Pokémon Gray and not Black 2 and White 2. In January, 
January 2009, several outlets reported Nintendo had filed patents for Pokémon Black, White, and Gray, among others. Expectations for Gray peaked eight months later when PokémonGray.com was registered by the same company Nintendo used to register PokémonBlackWhite.com. There's other clues, too. The Generation 4 box arts feature the Creation Trio, with Platinum having a new form for Giratina. Within Diamond and Pearl's data, there's a table listing every Pokémon, and how many alternate forms they were meant to have. The table in Diamond and Pearl lists Giratina with an alternate form, revealing that Game Freak planned on Platinum having a new Giratina form years in advance. A similar table can be found in Black and White's data, with Kyurem listed as having at least one alternate form planned, but not necessarily two, which is what ended up appearing in Black 2 and White 2, despite Black 2 and White 2 including two new Kyurem forms. At the very least, this indicates Game Freak was uncertain whether Black and White would have a single follow-up or more. Also in the data for the Japanese versions of Black and White, on top of the Light and Dark Stones, there's an unused third stone called the God Stone. This stone was likely meant for Kyurem, similar to how the Light and Dark Stones interacted with Zekrom and Reshiram. What's interesting is that the God Stone is gray in color. Adding all this together seems to indicate that Game Freak once planned for a Pokémon gray, but ended up making Black and White 2 instead. A Crash Bandicoot game was considered for the DS called Crash Landed. Also known as I Am Crash Bandicoot, the game was being made by Renegade Kid around 2008. Crash Landed was a DS port of a console game being developed by Radical Studios. All versions of the game were scrapped in 2010, but footage of the DS game turned up in 2013. The footage was confirmed real by Renegade co-founder Jules Watson, who added that the team made the demo in just two weeks. Curiously, there's also evidence of a Crash Landed pitch that was submitted by WayForward in 2010. All that surfaced of the pitch, however, is a stylized 3D model of Crash on a 2D plane. The pitch allegedly became the basis for Galactic Tazball afterwards. In January 2007, IGN's Matt Casamassina allegedly got to play an early version of Halo on DS. He compared the gameplay to Metroid Prime Hunters, praising the graphics and sound. He also claimed the game was canned due to the egos of higher-ups, presumably Nintendo and Microsoft. While many news outlets believe this to be a joke, Matt was insistent. Later that year, Matt finally showed what he said was a gameplay demo of the supposed port. By that time, however, his claims had been brought to the attention of Bungie's lead of marketing, Brian Gerard. At a Halo 3 press conference in May, Gerard was asked about Halo DS, to which he responded he'd never heard of such a thing. So what did Matt play? Well, a member of Silicon Era asked Gerard and Bungie member Frank O'Connor that question. They said the idea of Halo DS had been pitched multiple times, but what Matt played hadn't come from Bungie. Therefore, it's believed Matt played an unsolicited mock-up used for a pitch. Just before the DS's launch, a few games were announced by Namco. Two of these were RPGs, Xenosaga and Batten Kaitos DS. Both were in development by Monolith Soft, with Namco Publishing. While Xenosaga DS was released as Xenosaga 1 and 2 in 2006, Batten Kaitos went missing. Monolith's president, Hirohide Sugiura, was asked by Cube 3 if the game was still alive. He responded, saying, Please ask Namco for this question because they sell the title. We are strongly willing to develop this. A Namco producer later commented, the Batten Kaitos DS project has been stopped once. Further development is currently undecided. A month later, Sugiura again said development was pending and the team was waiting on directions from Namco. The game appeared again in a list of games pending release on Namco's website in 2008, but was taken down almost immediately. Nothing has been heard of the game since. Sensory Sweep Studios had nearly 200 employees and was working on several DS games, the first of which was Eagle Summoner. Eagle Summoner was a puzzle RPG being made in 2008. Its gameplay was 
was similar to Puzzle Quest, with the player fighting puzzle-based battles. Interestingly, the fact this game was in development during 2008 would lead you to believe Sensory Sweep was still operating as a company that year. However, the company went bankrupt in 2005, yet continued to develop its games under two different name changes, one of those names being FoopTube. But Eagle Summoner wasn't the only casualty of FoopTube. Crash Tag Team Racing on DS was too. While Tag Team Racing was developed by Radical Entertainment, the game's DS port was left to FoopTube. In 2014, Crash Mania user Bitmap contacted the game's artists. One artist, Mike Wood, explained the DS port was based on the PS2 game. They worked on it for 9 or 10 months and were just months short of finishing it before Vivendi Universal cancelled the project. The team was told the game was cancelled due to Mario Kart DS, with Vivendi believing Tag Team Racing wouldn't stand a chance against it. However, it's suspected the real reason was due to issues between the publisher and FoopTube management. This isn't hard to believe. By that time, the studio's owner was accused of many illegal activities, including tax evasion, fraud, and not paying his employees. The Department of Labor got involved, with some employees reportedly unable to pay for health care and mortgages. Shantae Risky Waters, also known as Shantae 2006, was a Shantae game pitched for the DS. Matt Bozone, Shantae co-creator, theorized that with the DS, gameplay would be possible on the top screen and the bottom bottom screen at the same time. The team made up a 13-page treatment of their ideas for the project. One idea had players river rafting on one screen while simultaneously controlling a bird over the river on the other. Another involved digging caves on the bottom screen while battles raged on the top. Unfortunately, no publisher was interested, and the idea was scrapped. Some Shantae fans believe some ideas from Risky Waters made it into Shantae Risky's Revenge, a DSiWare game released in 2010. A Boy on His Blob was a sequel to the original game by David Crane. It was in production at Skyworks Technologies, the studio that Crane himself co-founded. Majesco revealed the game in its E3 2005 lineup, and an early demo was shown on the show floor. Like the original game, the blob would have performed different tasks by eating various jelly beans. Over 15 jelly beans and 15 levels were included in the game. Though the game was meant to release in late 2005, it was pushed back and ultimately shelved in October 2006. In 2018, five minutes of gameplay from the ill-fated game hit YouTube, giving fans a taste of what could have been. Suda51 and Grasshopper Manufacturer's debut was a Japan-only PS1 visual novel called The Silver Case. While it eventually released in the West on PC in 2016, Suda's first attempt to bring it over was with a DS port. The team had a working version of the game on the DS, but the project was cancelled for two reasons. First, the Japanese language can pack a lot more words into a smaller character count, leading to more nuanced stories in a limited space. On a smaller screen like the DS, screen real estate was an issue in other languages. The other problem was that they just couldn't figure out what to do with the bottom screen of the DS. Suda51 said, Since we were working on several other games at the time, we just didn't have the energy to figure it out. The team considered giving the game out for free at the Tokyo Game Show, but that would have cost the studio a large amount of money. In the end, the DS port was scrapped. After the release of Toe Jam & Earl on Xbox in 2002, series creator Greg Johnson was itching to make another title. Toe Jam & Earl 4 was pitched to different publishers throughout 2007. It was meant to mostly be a remake of the first Toe Jam & Earl, but with extra features. This included the rhythm aspects of the second and third games, with players tapping to the music on the DS screen. Johnson was also hoping to add a multiplayer focus to the game. Unfortunately, publishers weren't keen on the idea, and the DS game was never picked up. In 2008, Interplay announced a new game 
game for the DSiWare and WiiWare called Clay Fighter Call of Putty. Studio Black Games was going to develop it, which boded well, as its founder, Eric Hart, was the original programmer for the first Clay Fighter. The release was planned for summer 2010. Unfortunately, summer came and went. In November, an issue of Nintendo Power supposedly listed a new release date for late 2010 or early 2011. We investigated and found no mention of the game in the magazine's November 2010 issue. Regardless, Clay Fighter Call of Putty never came to fruition, with no reason given for its cancellation. In 2008, Apogee Software announced three Duke Nukem games were being made for DS and PSP. These games were known as the Duke Nukem Trilogy. Of the three, Apogee only released one, Duke Nukem Critical Mass. As for the other games, one was believed to be a port of the game Duke Nukem Mobile, which was originally made for the Tapwave Zodiac handheld in May 2004. Whereas Critical Mass was a side-scroller, Duke Nukem Mobile was similar to an FPS. The Zodiac version came out in May 2004 and was ported to mobile in 2007 with a multiplayer mode and seven extra levels. As the DS demo had these same features, it's believed to have been developed around the same time. In April 2020, a viewer of the YouTube show DSCapades notified the channel that a demo card of the previously unknown port had been purchased from an eBay seller in Oregon. The game's developer, Machine Works Northwest, is based in Oregon, which might explain how someone got a hold of the cartridge. DSCapades uploaded the first ever footage of this port to YouTube in May 2020. A DS port of Quake 3 Arena was once suggested to be in the works. Id Software co-founder John Carmack spoke about it at QuakeCon in 2007. He said he may be working on a DS port for Quake 3 Arena, then said, I'm pretty sure I'm going to make that one happen. He said he'd like the game to be limited to Doom-style controls, utilizing the D-pad instead of touch controls. Nothing more was ever heard of the game. At some point, a Katamari game was in development for the DS, likely based on Katamari Damacy. The game was featured in a list of upcoming titles in the March 2005 issue of Nintendo Power. That month, IGN reached out to see if the listing was accurate. Namco's response was, at this point we haven't made any announcement for the future development of this franchise. While the series had additional installments, including a spin-off title through DSiWare, Katamari DS wasn't meant to be. The cancelled Geist DS was likely a sequel to or a port of the GameCube first-person adventure game Geist. The developer Enspace appears to have worked on Geist DX sometime during the mid-2000s. While never officially announced, traces of the game's existence were found within the ROM of the DS version of Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, which was also developed by Enspace. Two files, credits.bin and credits.txt, contain a list of credits for Geist DS for the Nintendo DS. Then in July 08, early footage of the game was uncovered and uploaded online. Based on the 1985 arcade game of the same name, Gauntlet was a hack-and-slash dungeon crawler intended for the DS. Under development by Backbone Entertainment, it was set to be released in summer 2008. Since the original Gauntlet was known for its multiplayer, Gauntlet DS would have let four players connect locally or online and to use the microphone to talk to one another. When summer came and the game was pushed to an October 2008 release, a demo was put on DS download to tide fans over. Gauntlet still hadn't released by late 2008, though reviews popped up in several magazines. In June 2009, Gauntlet switched publishers from Eidos to Majesco and was successfully rated by the ESRB. Despite seeming ready for publication, Gauntlet never released. That said, Gauntlet's engine was repurposed for Backbone's port of G.I. Joe The Rise of Cobra, which was released in August 2009. On December 26, 2013, a user on the Assembler Games forums dumped the US and EU ROMs of Gauntlet. Both versions of the game were seemingly 100% finished. Super Pac-Man 
Pinball was meant to be a follow-up to its predecessor, Pac-Man Pinball Advance for the GBA. Under development at Rubik Interactive, Super Pac-Man Pinball would have pitted Pac-Man against his nemesis, Pac-Monocle. There were three playable characters, Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, and Paconius Maximus. The game also would have featured three multiplayer modes, including a mode where players could mess with each other by shaking their table or turning their pinballs invisible. There were also mini-games within single-player mode, with secrets hidden behind passwords spoken into the DS microphone. This information was reported by IGN, but just three days later, they reported the Super Pac-Man pinball was cancelled with no given reason. To this day, only two screenshots have ever been uncovered. In December 2008, a 2009 LEGO Racers set came out early with a surprise on the side of the box, an advertisement for LEGO Racers the video game. Despite the advertisement, the game never surfaced. In 2013, a Firebrand Games developer released screenshots of work he did for the LEGO Racers game. The screenshots used, however, showed a higher graphical quality than the DS could handle, leading many to conclude the game was also being developed for the Wii before it was cancelled. Another game based on toys, Choro Q, was also a racing game, and was based on the popular line of Japanese pullback car toys of the same name. Atlas was developing the game sometime in 2004. While Choro Q never got released, we can assume based on similar Choro Q games that it would have had car customization and possible RPG elements. It likely would only have released in Japan, like past Choro Q games. Ultima Reborn was a DS port of Ultima 4 pitched to EA in 2008 and developed under their Montreal division. Project designer and lead artist Stefan Berlin said Ultima 4 was his favorite game and wanted to make a worthy reboot. The team chose to put Ultima Reborn on DS, as the handheld lacked Western RPGs. The game only got six months into development before being cancelled, however. Much concept art still remains, showing a large departure from the series' previous style, including many scantily clad women. A different artist who worked on the game said Reborn was going for a pixel art style, taking inspiration from Street Fighter, Metal Slug, and the work of Stefan Bouton, who worked on Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Shining Legend would have been an action RPG made by Korean developer Blueside, originally titled Princess and Knight. In its comedic story, a prince leaves his country to go study and returns home to find the king missing and the country in massive amounts of debt. The prince has to pay back this debt in 800 days, accompanied by seven princesses who would run away from a neighboring kingdom. The princesses could aid the prince in battle, as well as drop out of battle if the prince failed to impress them. With 400 quests and multiple endings, it would have been a truly ambitious game. It was meant to be released in 2010 in Japan, with later releases internationally. Although Shining Legend never came to be, Blue Side later made a tower defense mobile game called Princess Pajama, which is slightly reminiscent of the old DS title. Canadian studio Blossomsoft had three different DS titles in development that were all canned. The studio's founder, who went under the alias Elder Prince, felt strongly about the projects. One game called Mimic Book was something Elder Prince said was very, very, very special. They said it would intensely please every type of RPG lover, especially the ones in search of new taste. A second project, titled Gunner, was intended to follow Mimic Book's release. It was a side-scroller adventure RPG, said to include an undisclosed ingenious feature. The game took place in a post-apocalyptic fantasy world, vaguely inspired by Norse legends. The last project was titled Sagrada Guardians. It was initially developed for the GBA under the name Western Lords. The game followed four characters and a legendary city of gold called the Shining City. Sagrada Guardians was to have real-time 3D graphics and voice-acted cinematics. In 2008, both Mimic Book and Gunner were confirmed to be on hold, as Elder's personal life led to some difficulty with development. While Mimic Book, Gunner, and Sagrada Guardians haven't released, Prince did release a game for PC in 2008 and continues to make games. The game Cerulean Dreams was a shoot-em-up with RPG elements developed by Mezco Studios. Originally meant for the GBA, development migrated to the DS after
after the handheld was announced. This was so the game could utilize 3D models, scrollable menus via touchscreen, and full co-op play. The game was meant to be more than just a run-of-the-mill shoot-'em-up. It featured four main characters you could control and whose ships you could upgrade. The last definitive news of the game came from Mezco's website, which noted they were working on a DS demo to shop to publishers. Since then, it's fallen off the radar. One curious case of a cancelled game is Space Agency. This was an action RPG by Audio Inc., where players are employed by a space agency to protect planets from space pirates. Players would have interacted with populations on the planet to learn skills like negotiation, table manners, and something called pheromone. But what makes this game situation really curious is this. In December 2009, a YouTube video was uploaded showing art and screenshots from the game. Roughly two years ago, someone from the team commented on the game and said they still had plans to develop it once certain personal matters were attended to. Despite this note, no other information about Space Agency has surfaced. To the great sadness of everyone on the planet, the DS lost out on a game based on iconic painter Bob Ross. In March 2006, Agfrag Entertainment announced a game titled The Joy of Painting for the DS, Wii, and PC. The studio got a licensing agreement with Bob Ross Inc. in 2006, giving them rights to all transcripts, archived audio, and Bob Ross's paintings. Nintendo's platforms were chosen for the title because of Nintendo's sense of creativity, which Hatcher's team aspired to. Unfortunately, in December, news broke that the game had been shelved. On the game's Yahoo group, Agfrag announced they'd no longer be involved in Bob Ross-related games. When GameSpot reached out to studio head Joseph Hatcher, he said he couldn't say too much for legal reasons, but wouldn't consider the project totally cancelled. Later on the studio's website, Hatcher apologized for disappointing fans. He said that in the future, fans wouldn't hear about new games until they were nearing release. There was no confirmation that Agfrag ever found a publisher, which could be a reason the game was cancelled. In April 2009, reports surfaced claiming Radical Entertainment was making a new Spider-Man game. That game eventually became known as Spider-Man 4, the name of both a cancelled Sam Raimi movie and a cancelled DS game meant to coincide with that movie's release. Though there isn't much info about the game, screenshots of the home console version were shared by artist Wayne Dalton in June 2019. After the game's cancellation, the developers incorporated much of their work on it into the game Prototype 2. Clueless Fashion, alternatively known as Clueless, and Clueless Girls in Beverly Hills was another canned DS game. Though based on the 1995 movie Clueless, the game strayed far from the modern retelling of the classic novel Emma. Rather, Clueless Fashion seemed more like a Barbie clone. Players would have taken control of an aspiring fashion designer via shopping, socializing with friends, and putting on fashion shows. A separate summary of the game also mentioned playing Cupid on a time limit, attempting to set friends up with the right guys based on their fashion senses and interests. Despite these somewhat conflicting accounts of the gameplay, players would still be playing as Cher Horowitz, the film's protagonist. Tragically, Mean Girls DS was another cancelled release, this time in development under 505 Games. Reports on its gameplay are somewhat murky. It's been described as a Puzzle Quest ripoff by Kotaku, but its ESRB listing described it as an adventure game with text-based conversations. Four obscure screenshots found on an Italian website don't appear to support either of these styles of gameplay, as they show multiple different mini-games. One Kotaku article listed Mean Girls' release as April 20th, 2010. While some people believe the game did in fact release in a limited run, there's been no concrete proof the game ever made it to market. In 2017, a user from the Lost Media Wiki contacted 505 Games and asked them about the game. The representative mentioned they had received many contacts from the wiki and revealed that the game never shipped. And of course there is Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry, also known as Dirty Harry Extreme, was a third-person shooter developed by The Collective Inc. and was meant to be published by Warner Brothers Interactive. Based on the Dirty Harry film franchise, the game was intended for release not 
only on Nintendo DS, but also on PS3, Xbox 360, Wii, PC, PS2, Xbox, and PSP. Basically everything. Dirty Harry was set to take place between the first and second films, and was meant to add more depth to the protagonist. While Collective Inc. made the Xbox 360 and PS3 versions, Sensory Sweep was tasked with the Wii, DS, PS2, and PC ports of the game. Because the developers wanted a similar third-person shooter experience across all platforms, the DS game had to be built from scratch. Consequently, the DS version featured a more cel-shaded art style. While development was apparently progressing smoothly, Collective Inc.'s version was cancelled by Warner Brothers in 2007. The DS game was then cancelled soon after. The Sensory Sweep team was reportedly very behind schedule, and wasn't equipped for development on home consoles, as it had only developed for handhelds in the past. The West weren't the only ones with planned tie-in games. Initial DX was a racing game based on a street racing manga of the same name. It was in development under Sega sometime in 2007 and 2008. Though never officially announced, Sega's website uploaded a few screenshots from the game in March 2008. These images were quickly taken down, and nothing else was said of Initial DX since. Decathletes was a sports title being developed for DS and PSP. Its developers, Codemonkey, were known for their historic work on Shrek Treasure Hunt and Charlotte's Web. Their goal for Decathletes was to make a realistic athletic sim whilst maintaining a compelling pick-up-and-play game style, according to Codemonkey's Adrian Hurst. The game would have had full character customization and would let players recreate their sporting heroes with mind-blowing accuracy. Decathletes also had a career mode where players eventually unlocked famous stadiums and bonus events. Decathletes also would have had a multiplayer mode supporting four players. Despite a promising premise, the game never surfaced. Announced in 2008, Matchman was a run-and-gun game by Chinese studio TFH. The studio signed a two-year agreement with Lexicon Games to publish Matchman on the DS, as well as on the Wii and PS3. The game was based on Brothers Grimm and Hans Christian Andersen tales. It had a black-and-white drawn art style that was fairly unique at the time. Matchman also featured a commuter mode, meant for players who were commuting to work. According to marketing material, this mode let people play with one hand. Around 2008, Lexicon cancelled the project. Mamba Games scooped it up afterwards, but Matchman hasn't been seen since. Black and White Creatures was a DS version of the original Lionhead Studios game, Black and White. Both games are god simulators where players control the world as they see fit. In Black and White Creatures, the creature becomes more of a focus. The player has to train them to do their godly bidding, and is able to reward and punish the creature accordingly. The DS game was planned to feature several different island locations, as well as multiple never-before-seen creatures. There were also new gameplay modes in which creatures were pitted against each other, and a dancing mode in which you teach your creature how to get down. Black and White Creatures was announced May 9th, 2005, and a rough demo was showcased at E3 the same month. It was set for release in early 2006, but disappeared for unknown reasons. How I Spent My Summer Vacation was a DS game described by one developer as a survival horror game for kids. In it, a little girl named Joanne, armed with a chainsaw, takes down evil zombies plaguing her summer vacation. Santa Cruz Games created a demo for the game before it was ultimately cancelled. It's speculated Santa Cruz couldn't find a publisher for the project. Another entry by Santa Cruz, Chalice, was a shoot-em-up being developed in 2008. Based on screenshots, the game would have been a 2D side-scroller. While a playable prototype did exist, it seems the team was unable to find a publisher. Raid Over the River was a vertical shooter under development at the Polish studio Nibris. Players controlled an air combat vehicle through a series of missions, featuring an easy-to-learn but hard-to-master flight model. The game began in Peru, where archaeologists uncover an artifact that can travel through time via other dimensions. The game had two different storylines, with one protagonist attempting to take 
down a sect of the Knights Templar bent on summoning the demon Baphometanto. Power-ups, different vehicles, multiple gameplay modes, and co-op multiplayer further fleshed out the game. The title also made use of the DS's mic with voice commands launching special attacks. A Wii version would have followed the DS version. Unfortunately, Nibris was unable to find a publisher for the game and closed down in 2010. Hachi Koi was also a love simulator, or dating sim, in development by Electronic Arts for the DS. It was announced in 2008 with an enticing plot. The God of Death visits the player and tells them they are going to die on their next birthday, which is one month away. The only way out of this fate is to fall in love and make someone fall in love with them. Despite the exciting plot, in 2009 it was announced in Famitsu that Hachi Koi would never be released. Reportedly, the gameplay would have primarily been about touching girls in various ways with the stylus, such as rubbing suntan lotion on them. Given the premise and the racy screenshots found of the game, it's likely Hachi Koi would have only gotten a Japanese release. In 2008, Taito attempted to bring back cult classic arcade game Elevator Action for the DS, featuring similar gameplay and the original illustrator, James Harvey. As the story goes, Harvey was on a trip to Japan when one of his friends had a meeting with a Taito representative. Harvey was asked to redesign the three main characters to make them look classic, but still fresh, taking inspiration from hip-hop culture, modern Chinese street fashion, and North Korean military wear, Harvey turned the designs in, only for nothing to come out of the revival. Moonlight Fables was one of the first titles announced for the DS by a Western publisher, and was in development under Cyber Philharmonic. It was meant to be released in 2005 by Majesco as a side-scrolling action-adventure with an interesting story. The protagonist was 19-year-old werewolf Trista Silver, graduate of the Officer School for International Strike Forces and heir to the Wolfen Empire. Using the touchscreen, players could change the phases of the moon to take advantage of her werewolf powers. A range of weapons were available, from blasters to Trista's own teeth and claws. Though the game was ultimately cancelled, a developer who worked on the game at least revealed why on Unseen 64. They claimed the project was cancelled because of poor time management and conflicts within the team, which was made up of only a handful of people. When said developer joined, the project was already behind schedule, and when the deadline for showing a playable demo to Majesco arrived, they had nothing to show. Naturally, Majesco stopped funding the project. From what the developer had to say, the game had about 14 levels, and the size of one level was bigger than an entire Metroid or Castlevania game. My Life Coach was a casual lifestyle DS game. It was designed alongside behaviorists and nutrition with the end goal of helping players change their lives. The game was one in a long line of My Coach games by Ubisoft aimed to help players learn skills, get fit, and practice for SATs. My Life Coach took the form of a virtual diary, helping players set goals and adjust their habits. This life-changing game was slated for holiday 2007, but unfortunately never released. The game's CCTV was made by John Hare at Nikitova Games as a fairly original concept. Players work as a security operator and utilize CCTV TV to catch criminals in the act, capturing the moment of their crime. They then have to use other cameras to track them down in a crowd. Selecting the wrong person will result in lost time. The game featured progression, with players starting out as a mall cop and working their way up to an international head of security. 50 criminals, an overarching plot with hidden information to find, two-player modes, and an additional game on the Wii cements this game's intriguing concept. Unfortunately, Hare was unable to find a publisher. According to him, it's very hard to sell an original game. Some companies expressed interest, but their overall response was, That's interesting, I like the idea of that, but it's too original. 
Three Tribes was an action puzzle game developed by a Dutch developer named Two Tribes. In Three Tribes, players became a shaman whose mission was to help the natives solve their problems. It had an overhead perspective similar to 2D Zelda games and was intended for all ages. Players would be able to climb, swim, and fly across the map, with players being able to form their own solutions to puzzles instead of following one predetermined path. As the game's website stated, if you see it, you can go there. The DS game was set to have a multiplayer game editor, letting players craft their own levels and share them with friends. Unfortunately, two tribes had difficulty finding a publisher, so the game was shelved indefinitely. Another game was in the works at Two Tribes called Rewind. It began development in 2005 as a twin-rails shooter. Two Tribes co-founder Martin Ruvers revealed in 2015 that players could rewind time, at which point the enemies would become slightly harder. Other than that, the goal of the game was simple – destroy everything. The game world was said to be carefully scripted, making use of a CD-quality soundtrack for further immersion. Unfortunately, the team discovered when they put the game together that it wasn't much fun. In fact, Ruvers said, it really sucked. Thankfully, the time spent on the game wasn't all lost, as the concept of Rewind and some of the game's elements were later repurposed for Rive, which released in 2016. In August 2004, a port of the PS1 and Saturn RPG Vandal Hearts was listed as an upcoming title under Konami, but was ultimately canned. Nothing else is known about the project. My Personal Diary was listed as a game in the works by Ontario studio Dreamcatcher Interactive. Based on the name, it's assumed the title was some sort of virtual journal. While slated for a February 2009 release, it never materialized. Dreamcatcher Interactive was also making a game called Paint DS. It, too, was ultimately cancelled, though a similarly named game Paint by DS did release from Mercury Games in 2008. Living High, Killing Low was a DS game developed by Genki Ko. Despite the intriguing name, nothing is known about it except that it was cancelled in 2006. In December 2004, Orbital Media released a GBA game called Racing Gears Advance. Rather hopefully, they quickly announced a sequel, Racing Gears 2 for GBA and DS. Nothing else emerged after the announcement. Gravity Zero Racing, also known as Zero G, was a game in the works at Midas Interactive. It was a futuristic racing game with tournament modes, online modes, weapons to take out other racers, and advanced racing physics. It was planned to release around October 2008 and even had a listing on Amazon UK. However, Gravity Zero Racing vanished without a trace. World Reborn Unification was announced sometime in 2008 by Neo Pong Software. It was a 2D shmup meant as a sequel to World Reborn, a GBA title that also ended up getting cancelled. According to a developer, none of the publishers they contacted wanted to commit to the game. While World Reborn eventually released via ROM download, World Reborn Unification was never finished. Ninja Jajimaru-kun, Penwaken Yorimo Kyoshida Gozaru, was meant to be a DS remake of a similarly named Japan-only 1985 action game. The game was canned, and its company Jalico later closed due to increasing competition in the video game market. An ambitious game called Emperor was being developed by Frame Studios. It was an RTS where players took control of either the Greek, Roman, or Egyptian Empire to conquer the world. A trailer was published in 2010, but little else is known about the title. A tie-in game based on the Animal Planet series The Jeff Corwin Experience was once in development. Just like the show, the game would have taught players about wildlife, educating through fun. It was going to be released on DS and PSP, but nothing came of it after its initial announcement. 